Um, let's get the slides up and we'll get ready to go. Oh, all right, I can't see it on the screen, but that's okay. Um, I wonder how many of you have heard of this man or have seen this man before. His name is Daisuke Inoi. Any of you have heard of Daisuke Inoi? You probably haven't, but I want to tell you right off the bat that he's really changed so many of our lives. Because Daisuke Inoue is an inventor of something that we owe a great deal of gratitude for. And no, he didn't invent Squid Games, that's a different guy. Um, Inoue was the inventor of, does anyone know? No, you see, this is how little we know of this man to whom we owe so much. He invented karaoke. That's right. Some of you should have a little shrine to Daisuke Inoue in your living rooms where you have your karaoke. Um, now, most of us have never heard of Inoue. He didn't become famous, and he didn't, surprisingly, become a billionaire. He should have been. Just think about it, right? As clubs and places all over Japan and the world um, sang and had karaoke machines, he should have been making a killing out of that. But he didn't make a cent out of it. And the reason is because he didn't take out a patent. He didn't patent his invention. Now, years later, they asked him, why did you not paint? I mean, did you just forget to do it? Like, this could have made you really, really, really famous and rich. And he said this without any regret. He said, look, I decided not to paint it. And in fact, if I did paint it, I don't think karaoke would have grown and spread the way it did. Right, you, you get it? This guy you know, invented karaoke, changed the world, but he stepped back. He missed out. He deliberately made himself disappear so that his wonderful invention could actually take the whole world by storm instead of being tied down to him. Now, in Acts chapter 1, and we saw it in the kids' talk, the big question really there is, why is Jesus leaving? I mean, imagine when you want his disciples. Things were just getting good, right? Jesus was crucified in shame, but look now, he's risen in glory. Um, they were no longer afraid. His disciples didn't have to hide anymore because Jesus is the risen king. He's the son of David. This is time for the kingdom to come. It's time for revolution. But then Jesus leaves. Why would you leave Jesus at this time? Well, you might know, and the kids all kind of mentioned it, right? By going up to heaven, by ascending to heaven, by leaving, Jesus was essentially saying to his disciples, hey, it's now in your hands. Right? My mission, it's all yours now. It's your job to take what I've started and to take this good news and spread it to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus, by stepping back a little bit like the inventor of karaoke, he then put the spread of the gospel in the hands of every single disciple. But of course, you've got to know he didn't really step back. I mean, I overstated it quite a lot because the, the book of Acts, the sequel to Luke, is actually all about how Jesus would now continue his work by being present with his church, his disciples, in a different way. The Holy Spirit, Jesus promised, is Jesus' active presence with his people. So no, he didn't step back. He's just continuing in a different way through the Spirit and by the Spirit is able to do far more and be in more places than he could in person. But here we are 2,000 years later. Things haven't changed, right? Jesus is still in heaven, and the Spirit is still active in and among us, which means that He's put mission in our hands. 
and He has given us His Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill His mission. Now, if you're a visitor, you, um, you've come at a good week. This is actually week three of our vision series, just sketching out what our church believes in deeply. It's our DNA. Um, it's a little bit different to what we usually do. We usually would take a book of the Bible and kind of um, go into it in depth and preach through the passage. Um, these few weeks, we've kind of been touching on passages, um, not as deep, but we're trying to give you a sense of what our church stands for. So our final DNA strand, which is this week, is going to be on mission. And we're going to look at this week about the who and the how. But before we do that, how about I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are risen and you are active and alive and you are here in our midst with us and empowering us. We need to hear again, especially in the midst of COVID, of such um, a difficult time where so many things have been put on hold. We need to hear what that means for us as a church and what that means for us as disciples. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's start with the who. Now, to do that, we're not going to go to Acts just yet. I want to show you a very important passage, um, which gives us a picture of what heaven uh, will be like in Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from, every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and holding out palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So who have we got there? We've got a multi-ethnic, a multi-generational, I presume, a multilingual, a multicultural multitude, right? Now, this is very clearly the final goal for which God saves the world. Now, if this is the final goal, the who of God's plan, then it's pretty clear that every individual local church needs to have this as the ultimate destination endpoint of our mission as well, right? It goes without saying. It's pretty obvious. But one thing to really recognize is this. That is our ultimate destination, but we're all going to play different roles. Every local church is part of a bigger whole, a universal church, not just across geographically, but throughout time. And so every church, local church, has got to figure out how to play its part because no local church can do it all. Whether you're a small house church of 20 people or a mega church of 20,000 people, no single local church can do it all, right? So it's a little bit like, you know, when Paul talks about the body of Christ um, in 1 Corinthians, where every member plays its part, it's a little bit like that on a macro level. Every local church has got to figure out, well, what part do we play in the universal mission? With our unique calling, gifts, and opportunities, yeah? What's our part in this bigger body known as the universal church? So that's the question we ask ourselves at Southwest, at SWEC. What's our unique calling? What's our unique gifts? What are our advantages and opportunities? What has God given us? Well, to do that, now we're going to have a look at Acts chapter 11, which is really a key chapter. A key chapter in the book of Acts, and actually a key chapter really in the book of church history. Like, I'm not exaggerating when I say, if not for Acts 11 and this church that we read about in Antioch, there would be no church, any church in Australia, and certainly no Southwest Evangelical Church here in Kingsgrove, okay? This is so important. A bit of background, um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus, before he goes in heaven, he says, um, and the kids talk, did it perfectly, um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's the mission statement. 
But do you know between Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the mission statement, and here where we are in Acts chapter 11, um, we, we don't realize this when we read it, but about 10 years has gone by, right? A decade. A decade has gone. The gospel is spread, but not really amongst non-Jews. We only read about one family, right? The centurion in Acts chapter 10. 10 years has gone by, and Christianity is essentially a Jewish sect. In fact, that's what the early uh, people, Romans, thought of. There was this just part of Judaism. Antioch here in chapter 11 would be that first truly multicultural Jew and Gentile, non-Jew church. How did this happen? Well, the passage we looked at tells us is really important. Look how it happened. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. You got that? They only, there's a Jewish believers, the first group of Christians were only Jews, and they only spread the word amongst Jews. Right? This is why in 10 years, from chapter 1, verse 8 till now, to chapter, 1, uh, to chapter 11, you basically only had a Jewish church. But then looks, another group of Jews show up. Verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. All right? Then you've got this other group of Jews. Now, they were also in Jerusalem at the time that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Um, the, the Spirit was poured out, and then um, 3,000 became converts. They were also there, but they weren't native to Jerusalem. Okay, they were outlier Jews. Okay, verse 20, from Cyprus and Cyrene. And unlike the um, native Jerusalem Jews, these guys began to tell the gospel to non-Jews. Now, why is it that they could do it and they were willing to do it and able to do it in a way that the native Jews of Jerusalem weren't? Well, it's because, it's because these were bicultural Jews. Like, did you catch that? Right, these were men from Cyrus and, Cyprus and Cyrene. That is, they grew up in Gentile lands. They were Jewish by blood, right? They were raised Jewish, but they were Jewish in a non-Jewish context. They would have been comfortable with the Greek language and the Greek and Roman culture. They were bicultural Jews. And so when they went to Antioch, which, by the way, was a major, major trade center in the Mediterranean, among, along the Mediterranean, a multicultural city, they were such a natural bicultural bridge, weren't they? Which is why they started speaking to Gentiles, which is why the first Gentile church was planted and born by them. Now, why am I emphasizing this? I'm emphasizing it because we at Southwest Evangelical Church are kind of like them. Yeah? I mean, look around you, right? A group of migrants and migrant families, mostly, um, whether you're overseas born like I was, or you're Australian born like some of you are and my children are, either way, like, what are we? We're growing up in Sydney, Australia. Most of us are more comfortable in English, even if you do speak another language of your home country or your parents' country. We're bicultural. We're used to growing up in a mixture of two or more cultures. That's us, which actually means we have such a unique advantage and I want to suggest a unique calling. 
And by the way, if you're like Anglo-Australian, like my wife and a few other, like the Scott family and others, um, the fact that you're here means that you are already more bicultural than others. Of course, the Scott family is classic because they spend more time in Asia than most of us have. Um, and, and they speak better Mandarin than most of us do. But anyway, okay. But that's the point. Even if you're not like Asian looking, right, or ethnic looking, the fact that you're a Swek and are comfortable here means that there is a bicultural or multicultural element to you. In multicultural Australia, you know that the nations, we're one of the most unique, like multiculturalism in Australia is really quite different to the U.S., right? In the U.S., if you're of another ethnicity, you're expected to become a Chinese-American in a much more assimilating sort of way. Australia has a different multicultural policy, and that's why we've got multicultural hubs all over Sydney, some of whom, you know, are very separated from the main culture. But they've come to us. Now, whether that's good or not, that's, that's to be debated, but the point is this is the reality. The nations have come to us. We are one of the most multicultural countries and cities in the world. And then we're in southwest Sydney, which I talked about last time. Canterbury, Bankstown, local government area is the most populous, the least reached Christian-wise, and the most multicultural suburb in Australia. Did you know that? Or local council area in Australia. Now, here's the thing, though. Our Anglo, particularly Anglo-Australian churches, have generally found it really, really hard in these areas, especially as the suburbs have changed around them, right? They've found it really hard to reach these new migrant communities popping up or even dominating everywhere around them. They try, and they do some, do, and some have more success than others, but generally it's been really, really hard. So you've got to ask the question, in the big scheme of the universal church wanting to reach every multicultural cultural community and ethnic community, who's actually situated to be able to do that a little bit better with some, of, some inherent advantages? Well, I'd like to suggest it's us, because we're bicultural, all right? Like, for example, we don't, I mean, even though we don't represent all migrant communities in the area, like we know that we're, there's, there's like no Middle Eastern, Lebanese, Arabic people who are regulars at SWEC, um, I want to suggest to you that we still have an advantage. That is, we've got something in common. It's called the migrant experience, all right? What is it like to come to a country where your parents have moved you here, um, tried to, uh, you know, get work and try to make a living for the sake of your kids, and your parents may not speak a lot of the local language, uh, get a bit of racism, you know, have to band together in your cultural groups. That's a common migrant experience, whether you're talking about the Lebanese community or the you know what I mean? Or the Chinese community or the Vietnamese community. Which actually means that even though we're not Middle Eastern, right, we actually are half a step closer than, we, than, than our Anglo-Australian friends are. So even then we have an advantage. Now, I'm, I'm saying all of this just to, to let you know that, and it's really no surprise you've been coming to SWEC for a long time and been with us since the beginning, that we've always had a special calling right, to the migrant communities in our area. That's actually the reason why we started back in 2009. So last year, as the pastors and the elders sat down and we kind of thought, we want to really clarify for the next 10 years at least, what is our calling as a church, the why SWEC, you know, like every church generically wants to see Jesus glorified and the gospel spread, but why Southwest Evangelical Church? What makes us us? What is our unique part to play? We wanted to really clarify that and then flesh it out. 
the why and the how, or as we've called it, the calling and the culture. And I want to reveal to you what we've been working on these last three weeks. All right? Um, no surprises. The why, why SWEC? We want to cultivate gospel transformation amongst migrant communities here in Sydney Southwest. Okay? So we're not a local, local church. We're a kind of a, a regional migrant church, if you like. We have a particular heart to see in this Canterbury, Bankstown region that we play our part in reaching more and more migrant communities. Okay, that's our why. And then the three DNA strands that you've been looking at last few weeks, week one, gospel renewal, week two, gospel community, and this week kind of spell out the how, all right, or the culture we want to create. So the who, who are we trying to reach? Particularly migrant communities in Sydney Southwest. How is it going to happen? The three points spell it out, but today's one, especially when it comes to mission, we're going to spell it out in terms of these three things. Plant, partner, and send. Now, to do that, I want to actually show you from Acts chapter 11 how it's even in there. Like this chapter of, of, of about Antioch has all of these three elements. I don't know if you notice. So firstly, planting. Um, that's a pretty obvious one. I mean, the gospel is preached, many turn to the Lord, and from this, a church is planted, like the word plant isn't used. In fact, it's never used of church in the New Testament, but it's just a word we use. But the idea is there, all right? A church is formed, but this one particularly, right? Those who preach the gospel there, um, people become converted. A church is formed. That's an organic sort of church plant. And it's formed um, so that more people, and, and in fact, it's formed and more people of the Gentile persuasion now become part of it, right? It, it Imagine if it had just tried to be an offshoot of the Jerusalem church. Imagine if it just tried to hold on to its Jewish Christianity roots. It would never would have succeeded. It was just a branch church of Jerusalem. But thank God that it planted and was able to establish itself as a new thing. Statistically speaking, and here's a fact, and you need to know this, church plants, new church plants reach new people. Right? That's why from, from day one, our church is wanting to be a church planting church. Okay, and we're not going to do it all ourselves. I'll come to partnering later. But we want to keep multiplying by planting, not necessarily, necessarily planting new churches like in Bankstown like we did a few years ago. It may be planting new congregations. We'll talk about it a bit later. But the idea is that planting is the best way of reaching new people. And as I said before, I love how Jerusalem doesn't try and control them. Like I wish every church plant was like this, the mother church right? Just lets them thrive, lets them grow rather than how can we control them and make them more like us? Like Jerusalem doesn't do that. In fact, Jerusalem, you'll notice, sends them Barnabas. Now Barnabas was a really, really important choice. Why? Because Barnabas was actually a bicultural Jew himself. And he sends, they sent Barnabas so that they could help establish and grow this church, but not to control them. Okay, but that's church planning. That's number one in Acts 11. But number two, partnership. Well, obvious partnership. The Jerusalem church partnered with them, didn't try to control them, partnered with them, gave them Barnabas for a whole year. And then in verse 27, we read how prophets came from Jerusalem, right? They predicted a huge famine. But then the Antioch church, right, sent that partnership back because with Barnabas and Saul, they would send famine relief back to the mother church, partnership. Right? When you get partnership across local churches, that is a real sign of health. 
because it means that, again, it doesn't matter if it's a church of 20 in a house or 20,000, you start expressing the fact that there is something bigger than you, all right? And even mega churches, right, of 20,000, 100,000, even some of the biggest churches in Korea, like you might think that's huge, but that's a drop in the ocean compared with the number of people who are unsaved. Every single church needs to see itself as a part of a bigger movement, bigger picture. That the mission of God is so big that we need to work together, partnership. That's a sign of a healthy church. Thirdly, Antioch is a sending church, right? They send Barnabas and Paul with the famine relief. Um, you have to read on, actually, in Acts chapter 13, which we won't get to the time to look at. They're going to send Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul further afield. In fact, they're going to be the primary engine of Paul's missionary journey. They become home base for missions all throughout the world. So I say, without Antioch, no us, okay? They were ascending church. Now, we want to be planting, partnering, and sending because it reflects what Antioch did. But we want to do that not just because it's also good strategy, okay? Like that strategy comes second. I want to say that these things actually reflect the heart of the gospel. Actually, behind planting, partnering, sending, there's actually core gospel reasons. Let me just give it to you in brief, and I'll go through it in more detail. We plant because the gospel is about incarnation. I'll explain that in a moment. We partner because the gospel is about unity. The gospel unites. And then we send because the gospel is about sacrifice. Okay? So, let me just flesh that out a little bit. Firstly, let's talk about us planting. You see, why... Why plant? What does the gospel get us to do? At the heart of the gospel and church planting is really this kind of desire to be like Jesus in his incarnation. What's incarnation? The word means God becoming a man, all right? Taking on flesh, literally. God becoming a man in Jesus is the incarnation. Now, I'm not saying that we can repeat the, or copy the unique work of Jesus who became a man once and for all in history, and it's not about that, but it's the heartbeat of the incarnation, that we can learn from. See, why did God become a man? Well, it's because God didn't wait for us to reach Him. Right? Isn't that why God became a man? He took the initiative to reach us. That's at the heart of the incarnation. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is a kind of a strange sermon, um, and I'd encourage you to come back for the four big questions the next few weeks, because this is a little bit in-house, a little bit church visioning. I get it. Um, but I do want to pause here and, and actually say, look, if you don't, don't hear anything else, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, please hear that this is at the core of Jesus and who he is and why he came. That this is God who loves us and didn't want to leave us as we are, came, became a man, died in our place for our sins, rose again to give us new life. That's at the heart of the Christian message. And, and we'd love for you to find out more. So please come back right, over the next few weeks, or you can catch us online as well for the... Um, uh, the Invitation Month series. Um, but you get, at the heart of the incarnation is, is also Paul's attitude in, in, say, a place like 1 Corinthians, where he says, I have become all things to all people, so that all, by all possible means I might save some. Now, I want to suggest to you that this is why we should think about planting churches and keep planting churches. Because church planting asks the question, who isn't being reached? by our existing church congregation or structures 
or location? Church planning asks the question, how can we go to them? How can we go to them or form a church around them in order that they might come to know Jesus in a way that has less obstacles? Because we want to see them also, right? Remember? Transformed by the gospel. So, for example, if we want to really reach the Muslim community, Lebanese, Arabic background people, you know what? They're not going to come here. And it's not just because of, you know, we're a bunch of Asians, mostly. Any church, they're not just going to walk into a church, okay? Muslim background people. You've got to do what some of you might know, Jamin, right? Uh, Jamin, who's at Bible College. We've got to actually do what he's doing. He has a group of people meeting Lebanese, Muslims, meeting semi-regularly in his house. And he is able through Bible storytelling and getting to know them to share the gospel with them. Now, should they become followers of Jesus, right? Rather than thinking, well, why don't we just figure out how we can mash them in and integrate? Maybe the best thing is to form church around them, around that new group. Do you see what I mean? That's how church planning thinks. How can we go to them, not just about them fitting in with us? Now, a lot of you might know that at 11 o'clock, we've started a new, I think we're going to kick it off again next week, a new Mandarin ministry, particularly aimed at young families, lots of families from China speaking Mandarin, right? And it's because we have a kids' ministry at 11 a.m., something that they're not able to have at 9 a.m., And starting something new means we've got much more flexibility. It's not stuck with old structures and and, and formalism and so on. It can be actually a much easier step for young families. And already when we started it kind of informally last year, we had a number of families turn up, right? And we're hoping to restart it next week. Now, why am I telling you about that? I'm telling you about that because that's really our next church plant in a sense. So you might want to think about how you want to get involved in that. And one of the best ways you can get involved here at Kingsgrove 11 a.m. is this. We really need more people in our kids' church ministry. All right, because if this ministry grows and we plan and we prayerfully hope it grows, we need more people to lead and to teach and to help at the 11 o'clock kids' church ministry. And we currently don't have enough people, okay? So would you think about it? If you're not committed to a ministry, or even if you are, Right? And you think, yeah, I could, I could be part of that. Right? You'll be directly involved in a new church plant without even having to leave your own congregation. Do you see what I mean? It's really, really exciting, and we hope you can get involved in that. There's more stuff that we want to do. Um, COVID allowing, God willing. All right? Things like playgroup used to happen, ESL ministry. Um, in Bankstown especially, university campuses going up across the road in a year's time. We want to be involved in that. We hope to be planting more ministries, more opportunities. Like, this is part of the SWEC DNA from year one, and we want you to be part of it. Planting. Partnering. Again, driven by the gospel. Um, If you've been with us since the beginning at SWEC, um, and if you're not, then you may not know this, but we exist because of partnership, because of generous gospel-minded partnership from our Anglican brothers and sisters. Beverly Hills Anglican, who also used to be Beverly Hills Kingsgrove as well, right? They had this building vacated for a number of years. They saw that the community around them was becoming increasingly Asian. They said, we don't know how to reach them. 
So they partnered with a Chinese church out of Milsons Point, where I was on staff back then, and said, why don't you guys come? And we don't even want you to become Anglican. Like, how generous is that? And they weren't thinking about growing their denomination. They were thinking about how the gospel might grow. And here we are. And you need to know also that we're partnering with the Anglican Church of Bankstown. Right? Not only are we meeting on-site at St. Paul's, at Bankstown, what we're trying to do, God willing, in a, in a few months' time, is we're going to move our afternoon service at 4 p.m. into the morning and partner with them to put on a more diverse, slightly larger, and definitely a more multi-generational and multicultural service at 10. Not for them to absorb us or us to absorb them. It's a genuine partnership. We remain two churches together serving God for a morning church time slot again so that we might better reach the people of Bankstown. You may already know that our Bankstown youth group is a partnership, not just with St. Paul's Anglican, but with two other Anglican churches and I think two Vietnamese churches. It's a combined youth group. It's very exciting. But it's because partnership has been part of our church's DNA from day one. We're part of a uh, group of people called the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, right? Our denomination, if you like. Uh, But the great thing about FIEC is this, 50 or so churches all around Australia. So we're a pretty ethnic church in a pretty ethnic part of Sydney, but we've got FIEC churches in places like Orange and Bathurst and Perth and places that we would never even consider being part of. But we are actually partnered with them to see the whole of Australia get reached. Can you tell I'm excited? And also, our global missions partners, right? Like, we've been doing that since year one. But now we've got a family in East Asia, a family hoping to go back to North Africa, who are currently um, in Malta. And in the future, we've got people wanting to go to Southeast Asia. This is really exciting. See, partnership is a sign of health because partnership reflects the gospel. The gospel which is bigger than us. The gospel, which is about unity, yeah? Like, God loves it, doesn't he? When his children across churches, local churches, denominations, organizations can come together. It says something. It expresses something that's at the heart of the gospel. And it also says that, you know, no local church, again, whether you're a church of 20 or 20,000, right? You can't do it all. And yes, we want to reach migrant communities in Sydney Southwest, but, you know, we're not going to be able to do that all. By ourselves, we need to partner with others. And we certainly can't fulfill the Great Commission on our own. But what if God's plan was always that we would work together? Right? And you need to know that as a church, we are really actively always looking for ways to partner. Now, how can you get involved? This is a big, big, how about you as individual members of SWEC Kingsgrove? Well, let me suggest that you can get involved by praying. Praying is the main thing, but particularly when it comes to partnership, there's really two things that you, if if I can ask you to keep in mind. The first is to actually pray for our partners. Pray for our partners. And it's actually exciting when you do pray for our partners. I'll tell you why. Um, As you know, a few, what, months ago, Facebook, right, announced that it was now going to well, the Facebook corporation is now going to be called, what, Meta, yeah? Now, I don't know what you think about that. Like, 
For some people, it's like, ha, 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 this is really silly. Others are like, oh, this is really cool. Others are like, I don't know what that means. I'm in that last camp. I don't even know what that means. But you see, those of us who are watching from the sidelines, you know, we might have a Facebook account, but it changes its name to Meta or becomes whatever it is that, you know, it's going to become. It doesn't really impact us that much. Like, we don't really care. But imagine if you had some significant shares in Facebook. Like, you own some Facebook stock, some serious Facebook stock. Then every announcement from Facebook actually matters because you are a shareholder in the company. Do you see what I mean? Like, it changing directions or becoming meta. You want it to succeed. If it fails, you're going to be pretty upset, yeah? Because you're a shareholder. See, this is what happens with prayer when you think about partnership. When you pray for your partners, when we pray for our mission partners, whether it's Beverly Hills Anglican or St. Paul's Anglican or the churches involved in our youth group at Bankstown or it's our mission partners, when you pray for East Asia and North Africa, when you think about FIEC and you pray for regional parts of Australia, all right? Do you know one of our FIEC churches is in a little town in Tasmania called Snug? That's just the coolest name, isn't it? Right? Such a cute name. When you pray for somewhere like Snug uh, or for FIEC, guess what? You pray as a shareholder. That's really exciting, right? Like you're saying, we at SWEC, we have nothing to do with, directly to do with, you know, the work of God in North Africa. But because of our mission partners, right, they act, we actually are completely invested in the area because God is working through them, with us. Do you see what I mean? That partnership does that. So in your prayers, pray big, pray for our partners and be excited because you're praying for something that you are a shareholder of. The second thing to pray, and it's really important, is that we need to pray for unity amongst the partners. Like a lot of churches don't bother with partnering with others because quite frankly, it's hard. And unity is really easily broken. Like Satan would love nothing more than to destroy unity. And so I, church, please keep praying for us in our relationship with the Anglican church, with FIEC churches, with our mission partners, right? Because the, the relationship, the strength of the relationship is the reason why we can continue. And that's always going to be under attack. So please pray for those things. That's how you can get involved in, in uh, partnering. And last of all, let's talk about sending. Let's talk about sending. Uh, in the 18th century, a group of uh, Christians uh, called the Moravians, a little part of Germany, a couple of hundred of them, they experienced revival, right? And out of that revival, you might have heard, they started a prayer meeting, a 24-hour, around-the-clock prayer meeting. Everyone, there'll be someone praying at all hours, every single hour of the day. They did that for 100 years, nonstop. 100 years prayer meeting. That's incredible, right? Out of that revival, though, the other thing they did, apart from a super prayer meeting, was they, um, they were committed to world missions. So they just sent these people to all the world. One of them on a ship came across a guy called John Wesley. You might have heard of him. Uh, John Wesley was converted through encountering a bunch of them. All right? In fact, a historian once said that, look, if, if the Moravian church actually put their stamp on every church and every convert that came out of their mission endeavors, they would be one of the biggest denominations today in history. But the reason why so many of us have even heard of them, certainly as a denomination or a group, is because they didn't care. They didn't care. They just sent and sent and sent. But that's the heartbeat of the gospel, right? That's what the gospel calls us to do. 
to commission, to send our very best. It's a sacrifice, but that's what the gospel calls us to do. The gospel is about sacrificing. So we can sacrifice our leaders, our best leaders, our families, our youth. But we've got to do that. You know, as a church, we sent our first missionary family within the first year. And there's more, and we want to do more. And it's very exciting because we have a few, a few of you, who've talked about missions, who are in the pipeline, so to speak. But let me be really honest with you. If all the people currently interested in being sent for overseas mission out of SWEC actually went now, we would not have enough money to really support you in a proper way. Like we have this much, and it just means we have to slice the pie really thinly. And you would just, we, we want to give more, but we don't have a big enough pie. We, we have a big enough pie for the current families we support, but for all the ones in the pipeline, we won't have enough. So you may not be sent, but you can be a sender, can't you? That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, you can be a sender. You can be a sender by your prayers, by your encouragement. And if God has given you financially more than enough, like you already set aside the money you give towards the, the, the church general fund, and you think, I want to more specifically give towards the, the training of future missionaries or, or people doing MTS like Jess and Ness um, or, or, or future missionaries, right? God may be wanting to do that through you. You can be a sender. But the other thing I want to ask you is, have you ever considered being sent yourself? Right? Because God may want, be wanting to send you. Now, not necessarily overseas to mission work. Let's think about being sent in the broadest possible terms. You know, people leave churches all the time, and I wish that every single person who left SWEC left for good reasons, but they don't. But I really would love to see more of us, more of you leave and not because of conflict, not because you feel left out, not because you've been disillusioned or feel lonely. Like, that happens. But we want, it, we want people to leave because they feel like God has really called them to somewhere else in order to grow the gospel there. Like, that's a really good reason to leave. And if you're going to leave for those reasons, please don't leave quietly. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to support you. We'd love to send you, okay? God may be sending you. It could just be, you know, some of us have come from this congregation and have joined the Bankstown congregation because that's a, a way to grow the gospel within our same church network. It may be moving cities. It may be moving churches. It may be being part of a church plant that we're a part of or another church plant. Right? They're all good reasons, or it could be overseas. It could be getting trained, doing MTS, ministry training, or it could be going to Bible college, right? like um, a couple are, are going to do. They're not working full-time this year. They're going to do Bible colleges, Ivan and Vanessa from Bankstown. Right? These are great reasons. Maybe God is doing that for you. Let me tell you about my friend just as, uh, as, as, as a closing. In fact, I might get the band to get up here. We'll get ready to see. Um, so a friend of mine, uh, his name's Justin. Um, we met up with Justin and his wife, Jenny, and uh, Jenny was telling us that um, Justin's a, a lawyer, he's pretty, pretty successful, and over COVID, the lockdown, working from home, um, he was just absolutely slaughtered from work, like, and a lot of you especially are, having to work from home, especially if you've got kids and they've got young kids, it's really tiring, right? And she could just see that 
like in some ways his Christian life just kind of, you know, he's really involved and really loves Jesus, but just kind of became a bit flat, a bit stale over COVID, over the last couple of years. But then what happened was a few weeks ago, she said, he had an opportunity just on, just on Zoom to connect with a bunch of um, uh, parents, other dads from one of his kids' preschools. And over that conversation on Zoom, he was able to talk about his faith, share about Jesus. And you know what she said? Jenny said, it's like after that, Justin's like, not only did his whole demeanor light up, it's like he got his purpose back. All right? It's like everything just caught on fire again. And that's not surprising, is it? Like if you feel flat because of COVID, and hey, you know, if you, you do, you're not the only one. I think most of us do. Have you considered that there is a dynamic of our lives that's meant to happen? There's supposed to be input, but there's also supposed to be output, right? River, like lakes that don't have an outlet are going to grow gross. And for Justin and for all of us individually and us as a church, and this is one of the things that COVID has taken away, is we start looking so inward, so insular, only caring about us and thinking because of COVID, he, you know, who could blame us? We deserve or we need to just look after our own. But what happens over an amount of time is we stop thinking outwards. We stop thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus. We stop having conversations about Jesus. And not only are people missing out because we're not telling them, it's actually hurting us. So a bit like Justin, maybe, maybe the, the, the takeaway from today is, how are you, where you are right now, in spite of COVID, how are you going to consider being sent in little ways to the neighborhoods, to the friends, to the colleagues, to the family members who don't yet know Jesus, right? Take a shot. Pray, think outwards. It'll do wonders for that flatness that you might be feeling currently in your own Christian life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the mission of Jesus has never stopped, that the mission of Jesus led to not only Antioch being the church that it became, but us, centuries down the track, coming to know Jesus, we Gentile believers. Because of your mercy to us and because of the gospel, send us out, we pray. Send us out on our mission as a church to be thinking about planting, partnering, and sending for the glory of Jesus. Amen.